2: A trophy bigger than your five-year-old is blocking the rear windshield of the car in front of you. As they reverse into you, you're stuck on defense. And if you don't have the right auto insurance coverage, this crash could drain your athletic fund. So switch to Allstate, save money, and get protected from mayhem like this. Based on coverage selected, subject to terms, conditions, and availability. Savings vary.
0: Are you self-conscious about your smile due to stains? Have you ever wished that you had a whiter and brighter smile?
3: Boxing with Chris Mannix is presented by FanDuel Sportsbook. There's no better place to bet the action than on FanDuel Sportsbook during the football season. I bet on FanDuel as often and as comfortably as I possibly can. It is America's number one sportsbook. It's easy to use. It's safe and secure. There are fast payouts in as quick as two hours. So many bet types. Same game parlay bets, live betting, player props, futures, and so much more. If you are new... Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app to get started right now. Sign up with the promo code BOXING so they know I sent you. This is Boxing with Chris Mannix. Oh, somebody punch him in the face. Anthony Joshua is a composed and ferocious finisher. Watch this. Andy
4: Ruiz is the heavyweight champion.
3: Hosted by SI's Chris Mannix. That was my moment. Now with interviews, analysis, and everything going on in the world of boxing. When you have talent, you are given another chance. Here's Chris Mannix. All right, we are back. Boxing with Chris Mannix, part of the Volume Sports Podcast Network, and we have a loaded show for you today. A lot going on in the world of boxing. For that, I bring in Keith Ideck, senior boxing writer over at BoxingScene.com. He is one of the best boxing insiders in the business. And we go through all the news of this past week. After that, Xander Zayas, one of the best young prospects in boxing, 154-pound prospect. He is fighting this weekend on the undercard of Vasily Lomachenko against Richard Comey. I talked to Xander about his early rise in boxing, what winning prospect of the year would mean to him, and kind of how he sees himself fitting in to the junior middleweight picture over the next couple of years. Finally, Nonito Donaire, the future Hall of Famer, the Bantamweight Champion. He is in action this week. And Nonito breaks a little bit of news on this podcast. Some interesting news towards the end. So stick around for that interview and to hear what Nonito has to say about his future in boxing. As always, best way to support this podcast, get over to Apple Podcasts, post a comment, leave a rating. It's simple. It's easy. It's free. It's the best way to make sure that we keep doing this podcast week after week. That's it. All right. On to the show. All right. Keith Idek is here. BoxingScene.com. Fresh from sunny Southern California at the Javante davis Esau Cruz fight. Keith, I, I got to tell you, like, I, I came from Vegas where Devin Haney beat Jojo Diaz. And I'm sure you had the same feeling I did getting off the plane. It was like mid-70s. In Las Vegas, and I get off the plane in Boston, and it's like 38, and the wind is howling. It's like, what am I doing here? Like, what, what, what is, what kind, of, what are my life choices all about?
4: You know, I, it's, it's. Uh, I, this isn't funny, obviously, but um, I, I did an 11 day trip, for, went from Vegas to LA, from Fulton Figueroa to to Tank and uh, and Esau Cruz, and on the flight back from Los Angeles, it was absurdly windy in New Jersey. The closest I've ever come to being in a plane crash, like, like wow. it was pretty, <laughs> it was pretty harrow. And I'm not a, I'm a, I don't care about flying. I'm not fearful of it in any way of, you know, obviously done it millions of times, just like you have, but the landing was so, uh, the, the plane was just teetering back and forth and, it and right till we landed on the ground. And I was like, man, this is going to be a bad landing, you know, <laughs> like, and, and people actually, you know, I always laugh when people clap, when, you know, people clap when the pilot lands a yeah. plane and that was a time I was like, yeah, maybe I should start clapping this time because this, he, he deserves it on this one. Cause it was a pretty, I mean, not like we were nosediving toward the ground, but, but I thought the, the, the landing was going to, uh, be pretty eventful, I guess. <laughs> That's I, put it. I, so. I get
3: anxious. I get anxious every time I land every time. Mm-hmm. Like I'm always kind of thinking like, wait a minute, we're coming in too hot. Wait a minute. We're overshooting yeah. the runway. I always have these weird thoughts in my head. that you land, and obviously every time it tends to work out.
4: Yeah. No, you're still here, so that's a that's still a good, th- hey. Listen, depending on who you ask, that's a good thing, though. You know. But- yeah. <laughs>
3: that's true. That's true. That's true. Various corners of social media, uh, <laughs> where uh, where they have where opinions do vary. Um, all right. Let's uh let's jump in first. I want to talk about this past weekend. Hey, can
4: we take a quick time out real quick Of course. We, we we do have to address the 160 pounds elephant in the room. Okay. Now, I'm a, I'm in my hotel room in Las Vegas, so I don't know how long ago, but this is a couple fights ago, I think. Mm-hmm. And I watched Demetrius Andrade obliterate mm-hmm. poor Jason Quigley. Poor and Jason. I, I'm get, I'm getting ready to go meet some people for dinner and I'm like, "Oh man, mm-hmm. thank I don't have to watch this in the Uber and whatever. The fight's over. Great." Mm. And then I hear the biggest fight in boxing is Demetrius Andrade and Jamal Charlo. And I said, look, he's finally done it. Mannix is drunk on the air. That, 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 that's what's <laughs> going on here. He finally did it.
3: I, I just, in that moment, the hyperbole went to a 10, man. It just went to a 10. Um, I, I mean, there's a part of me that actually believes it. Like, you know, I mean,
4: no, I, you I actually you don't,
1: you do. You well, couldn't. let
3: me, I, I'll put it this way. I, I don't, I I would want to, like, if Anthony Joshua beats Alexander Usyk, Fury Joshua, to me, is the biggest. Uh, but personally, I want to see Andre Charlo
4: more oh, than per, oh, I want to per, see. Oh, per, personal, yeah, from your personal yeah. perspective, I don't doubt that.
3: Well, these but are my words. So the I'm, 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 I'm <laughs> my words, man. I, <laughs> I said, somebody. Else. I said.
4: I said. Wait. I said. Listen. We're gonna have. To, we're gonna have to have him committed. He's, he's gone completely batshit crazy. Like, what is he talking about? It's pushed me to about? the edge. It's. Push, it's.
3: The, this. The lack of this fight happening has pushed me to the edge. It has. Like. It, <laughs> it takes every like ounce of self control not to like just verbally clobber Mauricio Suleiman every time I see him at these yeah, events yeah. Oh, my and God. jump all over him. So uh, you know. Well, that's. That's a conversation for another day. When that fight doesn't come together in early 2022, we can have that that conversation Absolutely. Uh, once again. Yep. All right, I do want to talk about this past weekend before we look ahead. Uh, let's start where you were. Tank Davis, Esau Cruz, 135-pound fight. Um, I expect this to be a tough fight for Tank Davis. Uh, not necessarily because I thought Esau Cruz was a unheralded contender, a diamond in the rough, but I'm just not a big believer in Tank Davis. I think he's... A good fighter, but he has been very carefully matched over the course of his career. And, you know, he fought a guy shorter than him for one of the first times. He had trouble mm. all throughout. He got the decision. I scored a draw, Keith, uh, watching from from television. I have no problem with Davis getting the decision. When it goes 115-113 uh, the other way, that's how it goes. Like, you know, there are plenty of enough swing rounds there for me to believe uh, that to be the case. Give me your impression sitting ringside of what you were watching. Did you agree with the decision? And uh, what did that fight leave you taking away from Tank Davis?
4: Well, just to clarify, we ain't ringside. We're
3: <laughs> <laughs> in the orbit. We're, in the orbit. We, we, of the we are.
4: We are further back. It seems uh, at every turn. But hey, welcome, uh, from, Keith. From...
3: By the way, welcome to like that. I'm I actually know, surprised boxing NBA took right? that long. Like as yeah. someone that got into the NBA reporting in the early two thousands where I was right on the floor at Madison yeah. square garden at the TD garden everywhere where you are now in the rafters, at these events, yeah. it was only a matter of time.
4: We should be thankful as it, as you know, no, you're speaking to yourself and other friends of mine that cover the NBA. They tell me you're like on the moon basically watching these games. So I guess we have it better than, than they have it. And certainly I covered football for a long time and you're really yeah. up top there too. So um, so, so I guess we should be thanked. My only thing is we need to see the fights and and mm-hmm. it's continually becoming a problem where they're putting us, uh, in a situation where people are kind of walking in front of us and they're not doing it intentionally. It's just that, you know, they have to fine tune it a little bit. So we're not in that predicament. You can't, you cannot write on deadline responsibly and, and, and effectively when you have people walking in front of you, you just can't. And there people standing up and they're there to have a good time and they're not, they don't care about us writing on deadline. But when you're don't want to be melodramatic but you are recording history and you don't have a lot of time to screw around Mm. so you need to see the fights but anyway from where i was sitting um from my vantage point i thought gervonta davis won won 115 113 but i always say chris when you're writing on deadline writing running and stuff it's hard to score the fights accurately but i did think gervonta davis did did enough to win i didn't think Isak cruz did enough to win the fight but he obviously won in losing the other night if 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 there's ever a case of someone doing that, it's Isak Cruz, right? Because people did not know who he was really. I mean, we obviously did, but most of the people inside of Staples Center came to see Gervonta Davis violently knock someone out and they don't necessarily care who that someone is. And I think Isak Cruz really developed some fans that night among the people who came to see Gervonta Davis, they appreciated the effort that he put in. He's a tough guy and, and One thing I'll say going into the fight, Chris, I I didn't think Cruz was going to win, but I did think he would stick around at least toward the, you know, to the uh, two thirds into the fight, at least because I was looking at his head and he has one of those heads that looked like it would be very hard to hit in terms of when you hit it, you would feel it. And that turned out to be the case for Javante Davis, who came into the fight with a left hand injury and, and further injured it probably in about the fifth or sixth round. And he said he hit him so hard several times on the top of his head that he, that he really did damage to his hand. Now, what, one thing I'll say, Chris, is I'm a little bit more of a believer in Gervonta Davis's ability than you are. Um, I, I'm with you on the way he's been matched very carefully, but he has, you know, before Sunday night had knocked out 24 of his 25 opponents. They've been smart, careful, um, annoying to certain factions of people about how they've gone about matching him. But they've done a great job in, in cultivating his fan base. And, and the one thing that is undeniable, whatever anyone thinks of Gervonta Davis' ability, and I think he's, I, the one thing I don't think he gets enough credit for is how smart of a boxer he is. He's, at, he's He's got a very high ring IQ, and I think he exhibited that on Sunday night. And he kept turning Esau Cruz and turning him and turning him and turning him. And I think the other thing that we might have learned about Gervonta Davis on Sunday night that we might not have known before is he takes a pretty good shot. Now, Esau Cruz is not a huge puncher, but he can crack a little bit. And he hit him with some very flush punches, Mm -hmm. and Gervonta Davis didn't go anywhere. Uh, So I give him credit for that as well. But he's a B-level lightweight, uh, Esau Cruz. You know, maybe better than people realize, or certainly better than people realize. But he's not an A-level lightweight, and and Tank had a, a tough fight. But that happens to guys on their way up. Chris, like it happened to Floyd Mayweather. There were guys that Floyd fought that gave him a little... I don't think he lost the first fight to Jose Luis Castillo. You'd certainly get arguments from people to the contrary. Um, But, and I'm not saying that Isak Cruz is Jose Luis Castillo, who was, you know, a a borderline hall of fame fighter. Mm -hmm. Um, But maybe it was that kind of fight for for Davis, a learning fight, uh, a tougher fight than people expected. And I think he showed some different things in his game in that fight that people might not have known about him before, despite disappointment that he didn't knock him out.
3: I think you nailed it, actually, with a tweet you put out before the fight. And I remember reading it at the time where you said, look, Isak Cruz is not a big puncher. Uh, Four Mm -hmm. of his last five fights have gone to decision. There's kind of this perception of him as a big puncher because of what happened in the Magdaleno fight where he knocked him out, which was a defining performance for for Isak Cruz. Um, He was kind of what you thought and, and kind of what I thought he was coming. And he was durable. He was rugged. A little bit better, better boxer than I thought he was, and I yeah. thought Gervonta had some problems kind of dealing with that pressure. Um, mm-hmm. he, he did turn him, and he did land flush shots. Cruz is hard-headed, wasn't going anywhere, uh, but Cruz uh, was a little bit better uh, than I thought he was going to be uh, in that mm-hmm. fight. As far as, I, I don't I don't know if like I'd look at that fight and say, all right, Javante's now moving up in the lightweight rankings. It's a win, you take it, you add it to your record, you move on, but... You know, it wasn't the kind of performance that had me walking away like a big, a bigger believer in Gervonta Davis.
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, the one thing that going into the fight that I thought was interesting, and it played out exactly how people who know what they were watching were telling me going into the fight. You know, Sean Gibbons, who is the, the you know the president of Manny Pacquiao Promotions, which promotes Esau Cruz, had pointed out, and several other trainers did as well, is that Gervonta Davis tends to get so much torque on his uppercut because he's used to fighting taller fighters. And he really was not able. He tried, but he really mm. wasn't able to do that on Sunday night because Esau Cruz is is at least probably two inches shorter than him, and Javante Davis is not tall, but mm. probably two inches shorter than him. And he was crouching down a lot, and when he tried to get, you know, everything into those uppercuts that he tends to get and knocks people out in violent ways, he wasn't able to do it. And then you throw in. Isak Cruz's toughness and and great chin and everything. And it made it difficult for Javante Davis to knock him out. And you're not going to knock everyone out. I mean, there's only one, there, there, there are two boxers, you know, at the top level. Uh, Virgil Ortiz Jr. is not really a champion. so um, But Virgil Ortiz Jr. and uh, Artur Beterbiev have knocked out each of their opponents, but it's not common. So the fact that he went the distance doesn't take anything away from Javante Davis's uh, mystique or whatever you, know, whatever you want to call it to me uh but i but I'm, I'm with you in the sense that 2022 needs to be the year chris that he fights one of these guys that people want to see them fight that want to see well, him? Well,
3: let's let's talk about that then keith because you were at the press conference afterwards gervonta davis floyd mayweather leonard lrb the trainers and staff of gervonta davis did you walk away from that press conference thinking we're going to see Javante Davis in with one of the top guys next year?
4: Well, it's going to have to make financial sense, right? And and I, And they were really directing these comments, in my opinion, to they weren't mentioning them by name, but they were directing these comments specifically toward Devin Haney and toward Ryan Garcia, because they did try to make the Ryan Garcia fight last year. And that's something that had been told to me several months ago. Uh, you get varying degrees of how close they came to making it. But once Ryan Garcia and his team started to believe that that Manny Pacquiao fight was real, which it clearly was not. um, Then Gervonta Davis's team understandably went in a different direction. They committed to the fight with Mario Barrios and that's who he was fighting next. And then Garcia's team said, well, we came back. Well, I mean, coming back to a guy when you know he's committed to another fight is not really coming back to a guy in my opinion. But um, the one thing I would say as it relates to Ryan Garcia just please go fight somebody and get off of yeah. social media because it's, I mean, it's getting a little annoying to, to the, to the fighters. I'm sure you're coming on social media after all their fights, telling them I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do this. And you're pulling out of fights for various reasons. Just get back into the ring and start proving yourself again, before you continue like calling out people who are in dog fights against real guys and not pulling out of them and not, you know, spending their life on social media.
3: Yeah, I agree. Ryan's got to get back. Um, His first fight back will not be against Gervonta Davis, but Gervonta, Mm. if the hand injury is significant, he's not, he's going to be on the shelf for a while. Anyway, Uh, Ryan Garcia, I would imagine from what I'm hearing, will be back some point in March. The idea, at least for now, is to have him fight three times next year. And I'm with you that middle fight, or at the very least the last fight of 2022 should be against Gervonta Davis. Um, The question is Keith, like, can it happen? Like, uh, is is Gervonta's team going to insist that it's Garcia Davis on Showtime pay per view on their terms, or yes, yes, are they? Yes. <laughs> Short answer is yes. <laughs> I mean, I agree with you. I I completely agree with you. But like, what I would say to that, like, if Golden Boy, um, because of their new deal that's pending with zone which loves Ryan Garcia, I can tell you that firsthand. Like, yeah. he does excellent numbers for them on the platform, and DAZN is also dipping its foot into pay-per-view next year. We all know that. Um, if DAZN wants to get in the mix, would they be open to doing it together? I think the answer is no. I think that is I think that is what's going to detonate that fight before it even starts. That's disappointing to me because that is a great fight in the lightweight division.
4: Yeah, I could see that becoming the obvious complication, Chris. Um, I think they're going to do their business on Showtime because Al Heyman is loyal to the showtime brand so is floyd mayweather and gervonta davis to a lesser degree because he's in business with both of them and they're guiding his career of course um uh, i i do think it would have to be on showtime pay-per-view and i guess that would as it relates to ryan garcia and his team how badly do you want the fight right and and i'm, I'm not saying that's fair and i'm not saying that that's the way it should go i'm saying that is the way it's going to go like yes. it or not so if you want to fight gervonta davis you're going to fight him on showtime pay-per-view or you're not fighting him. Now that's going to open up Floyd Mayweather and Leonard Ellerby and Gervonta Davis to criticism. But that's just the, the one thing I will say is Ryan Garcia has a lot of Instagram followers. He's very popular, but he is nowhere near as proven as a gate attraction or as a pay-per-view fighter as Gervonta Davis. So that I think that they do have leverage and I do think they have the numbers to back that up. Now he's not a, a 500,000 pay-per-view buy per fight fighter, but he's a two hundred thousand per fight, you know, fighter, and there aren't many of those left in boxing. You know, so yeah. so I do think they have the leverage there. And and look, the kid's numbers. I don't have the uh, uh, the how many tickets were sold yet. We're trying to get that information from the California State Athletic Commission. But he's selling tickets. They, they're not mm-hmm. giving away tickets to these fights. And the one thing I notice at his fights, it seems to me when because I've been at all of Tank Davis's I was in Baltimore when he sold out Royal Farms Arena I was in State Farm Arena when he when he did big numbers there twice and they did a 4 million dollar gate for his fight against Mario Barrios that no one knows who Mario Barrios is and they did a 4 million dollar gate and those people were there to see Tank Davis he he is a he is a star I mean there aren't that many I mean how many Amer- how many people in how many fighters in American boxing do bigger numbers than him Canelo obviously right uh, he's not American, but in American boxing, uh, Tyson Fury, I guess, I guess but it, but you got to put him in with the right guy. I mean, Tyson Fury mm-hmm. and Deontay Wilder made magic together. They didn't make magic separately. You know, so Tyson Fury certainly didn't. I was there when he fought Otto Wallin and I don't know, there, there might've been more, less people there than were there for the Devin Haney fight and, against Jojo Diaz on Saturday. He's you know, so you need the dance partner. Whereas Davis is filling arenas against people that, People, fighters that people don't know, and and frankly, yeah. the people who are coming to the fights, I don't think they care all that much.
3: Yeah, they're there to see him. Yeah, yeah, to see him him operate there. I, one thing, in addition to the network issues that could create problems for that fight, I, I agree with you that Davis is the A side. He's the bigger attraction, <laughs> but you also can't treat Ryan Garcia like he's Esau Cruz. You can't treat him like you're doing him a favor coming over. I mean, Ryan. I agree for, you know, he, he's, he's a budding star. He's not a star in terms of attraction in the way Gervonta has become, but he does have that huge social media following. He does have a, a perfect record. He does have uh, a team behind him. He's got team Canelo operating behind him. And he does, even though they're not released from what I understand, does really good numbers in terms of viewership uh, yeah. when he fights on DAZN. So I, I don't, it can't be one of those situations and, this is often how Floyd operated at times in his career, where you say, mm-hmm. all right, we're going to give you this. Here's, e- mm-hmm. Even remember the early negotiations with Pacquiao. Floyd was like, here, take a $40 million guarantee, or whatever it was. Like,
4: Right, you know, right. Like, you, can't th- treat, I, you
3: can't treat guys like that.
4: And I think Manny wound up making somewhere near $130 million yeah. was his takeaway from, from that fight. So yeah. obviously he was being under undervalued there. But the one thing I'll say as it relates to social media, and this isn't a shot at Ryan Garcia or, any, or anyone else, social media is not real life. So to to some degree it's not real life. I mean, Devin Haney has over a million Instagram followers, right? You were there on Saturday night, huh? and it was a tough fight, and Jojo Diaz is not a transcendent star or anything, but he's a guy who always brings his best effort, a former world champion. You knew it was going to be a good fight, it was going to be a dog fight. And no one, and whatever came.
3: crowd it, whatever crowd it was, they were there for Jojo Diaz. It was right. a Jojo so, Diaz crowd that night.
4: So if you're so my point is is if you're Devin Haney, all right, as Terrence Crawford told me a few weeks ago whoopty damn do that you have a, a 1.1 million uh, Instagram followers if it doesn't translate to people buying tickets or to people watching the fights who really cares mm-hmm. it doesn't make a difference you know it, it you can say it and maybe it makes you feel good but it doesn't if it doesn't translate to people investing in this sport it does not matter so Ryan Garcia while he has a lot he's a very popular, Inst- and I think that's kind of why Gervonta Davis said what he said after the fight. He said he's an Instagram fighter, he said he was a pretty girl and other things as well. But he said he was an Instagram fighter. And look, I mean, the kid has to prove at some point. And, and I do agree with you, Chris. It's, it's completely unfair to expect Ryan Garcia to come off a one-year layoff and fight Gervonta Davis. That's not happening, and that's not mm. realistic. But, but I think there needs to be some tangible proof. And maybe that might be from the DAZN people releasing the numbers to the Showtime however they're going to do this deal proving to them how many people have watched his fights because they're certainly not going to take people's word for it you know I mean there's no. going to have to you know and maybe they could come to an agreement where everything is kept uh, you, you know under wraps and, and it's not able to be released to the public or whatever to, to, to prove what his value is because you mm-hmm. can't you know in boxing everyone's full of shit to some degree right so, you, so you're not just going to take people's word for it you know so
3: yeah I, I look I, I walked the fight itself, putting that aside, I, I watched back that press conference. I, I don't get the sense that in the first, at least the first six months of next year, Javante Davis's next yeah. fight, it's not going to be somebody that we want to see. It's just not. Um, I don't believe, and we'll get to this in a minute, but I don't believe they're going to be aggressive in terms of going after a fight against George Cambosis. They have not shown any interest in a fight against Devin Haney. Uh, the Lomachenko stuff, that's not even worth discussing uh, at this point. I, I think we're more likely, Keith, to see some... PBC fighter, maybe it's Raleigh Romero if he gets through uh, his legal troubles right now or at least his troubles with uh, being accused of, of uh, sexual assault. Uh, that, that feels to me like it's the more likely outcome for the first half of next year.
4: I'm with you, Chris. I, I do think that if Raleigh Romero uh, is not charged with a crime and this, for lack of better words, goes away, i do think that his first Javante davis's first opponent of 2022 will be Rolly romero now that's a big if because you know this is still being investigated and such but um so i would expect that to be his first fight of 2022 i guess what we're talking about more so is his second fight of 2022 and if that fight isn't against someone that the public you me everyone involved in the media really wants to see him fight well then you really have to question how they're going to move forward there because then he's going on 28 years old he's not He's not old, obviously, but he's in the heart of his physical prime. But how much longer? Because because we're at the point now with Javante Davis that he's probably a twice a year type of fighter. He's being paid a lot of money. His fights are exclusively on pay-per-view. There aren't too many guys that do three pay-per-view fights. You know, Canelo's uh, an anomaly, of course. I mean, mm. a three pay-per-view type of fights per year. Uh, so, you know, I, I want to see that second fight. And I'm not crazy about the first fight being against Roly Romero, although there's some bad blood there and, and they'll be able to promote the fight and all, all that. But not crazy about that being his first fight, but just being realistic, I think that probably would be his first fight if Roly Romero gets past his legal troubles. And then does he fight Ryan Garcia, Devin Haney? Um, well, those are the two, right? I mean, because Tiafimo yeah. Lopez. I mean, Ryan, of course, look, you
3: know. we're getting to the point too where, where Devin's gone. Like, I think if Devin gets this Cambosis fight and he wins, he's out after that. Like, he, well, he, he might stick around for... If he can get a Gervonta fight before the end of 2022, I think Devin would make weight for it. But, I mean, the last couple of fights I've been around Devin, I know how hard it is for him to get down to 135. He's 23 years old. He's a big framed kid. He's growing into that frame by the month. Um, He'll cut weight for George Cambosis. He would cut weight for a 2022 fight with, um, with Gervonta Davis. But if it doesn't happen next year, I think Devin's long gone.
4: I love Devin Haney's answer after the fight, which I'm sure he had uh, he had planned to say after the fight. When when you asked him, would, would you go to Australia, and he said he would go to Jupiter for the fight. So I thought that was that was a funny answer, but and true, uh, he'll go anywhere he has to to fight George Cambosis. But what I've been led to believe, Chris, you know, behind the scenes and talking to people involved, I'm not 100% sure that George Cambosis is going to fight one of these elite level lightweights in his first fight in Australia. I, I think he might take. Um, an optional defense of his title sort of a victory lap in his first defense of the title in a either in a stadium or an arena because I know they keep throwing this 80,000 seat thing around and that is not easy to do no. you know you know jeff horn's fight against manny pacquiao and again he's fighting manny pacquiao Drew 50 something thousand people in Australia. And I don't know that George Cambosis is as big as Jeff. Well, Jeff Horn became big by beating Manny Pacquiao, but I don't know that he's as popular there because Teofimo Lopez is certainly not as big of a name as Manny Pacquiao. So I don't know that he's bigger. He's a better fighter probably, but I don't know that he's a bigger attraction than Jeff Horn. So I, what I'm getting at though is I think maybe George Cambosis is talked into by his people taking a lesser fight and, and, uh, and, and, a voluntary defense in his first fight and then fighting either Devin Haney. And I would not be surprised if Javante Davis is in the mix for that because it, it would not be in Australia. It would be in the, because again, they're going to try to call the shots, but if you pay George Kambosos enough, uh, I think he would go to Jupiter too. Right. I mean, it's about, this is all about dollars and cents. So he's not going to take these, these lightweight titles to Australia and set up camp there for five years and try to defend, you know, he, he's going to have, he's going to go, where the money is, like they, everyone follows the money in boxing, and I think he'll do the same thing. And I think he'll be satisfied if he goes and makes a voluntary defense against whomever, and when and you know, and retains his titles, he gets that out of his system, and then he'll go where the most money is available for him. And and yeah. I think the I'm sorry to cut you off, because but I think yeah. the most money available would would be for, for fighting Gervonta Davis than fighting Devin Haney.
3: Yeah, I, a few things. There's a lot of moving parts when it comes to Cambosis' next fight. I, I do believe, and you've probably heard the exact same things, that people on Cambosis' side are kind of lining up that tune up, right? That whoever that guy may be in Australia to have that optional defense. Can they convince George Cambosis to do it? Like, George, when I asked him point blank uh, on last Saturday. Like, there's a lot of people that believe. What you just said there, Keith, that you are going to take an optional defense. He said, absolutely not. I don't want an optional defense. It does nothing for me. I'm going to go straight into another big fight. Now, money can change all that, right? Like You can say, take this fight. It's easy. Make a lot of money. And then we'll move on to the next deal. So, that's certainly possible. Why I think a deal, a a co-promotional deal with with Matchroom, DAZN, whatever you want to call it, is... I lean that that will be the direction he goes for now is because I think George is going to want a multi-fight deal with whoever he links mm-hmm. up with. It's not going to be, I'll take X million to fight Gervonta Davis or X million to fight Devin Haney or X million to fight Vasily Lomachenko. He's going to want a comeback fight after that. And maybe even one more. I mean, I, I from mm-hmm. what I've been hearing, they're looking for like a three fight deal on his, uh, in his uh, next kind of pact with somebody. There's only so many options that are mm-hmm. out there. Like, can PBC present enough money and options for Cambos to have three fights on that side? Uh, I don't believe Top Rank can do it, at least not right now with the guys it yeah. has at 135. On the Matchroom to Zone side, you have Devin Haney, you have Ryan Garcia, hell, you have Jojo Diaz. I, I if, if there's like a quote comeback fight, if George needs it, Jojo Diaz against George Cambos is a pretty good fight. Like that's a a pretty fun fight, um, is, you so. know, between two guys. At that way. So I look. I'm not. I'm not predicting anything right now. It's way too soon to predict anything. I just think that if you're looking for multi-fights, and that's what I think Cambosa's side is going to look for, um, there's one clear front runner right now, just because of the options yeah. that are available on the matchroom room Golden Boy side of the proverbial street.
4: Yeah, and it's an important uh, moment in George Cambosa's career. Obviously, not only from a historical standpoint, but from a financial standpoint, because oh yeah, cash Chris, in that's yeah. you have to make the smartest decision for the long-term future of you your family and, and everyone involved in your career because chris go back to where hasim Rahman was when he knocked out lennox lewis right he was offered this four fight what was it 70 million what, whatever number it was back in 2001 it was an enormous amount of money for back then by don king and he turned it down and then he got knocked out by uh lennox lewis in the rematch and he never recouped that money he was still a high level fighter he had big mm-hmm. fights that, you know, he fought uh Holyfield. And there, there were other big fights for him after that, but he never recouped the money that he should have made. Had he just taken that four fight deal after he knocked out Lennox Lewis. So you have to be careful because, you know, George Cambos is a good fighter proved to us that he's better than we realized. But, you know, if he fights Devin Haney or Javante Davis or Ryan Garcia, or even Jojo, Jojo Diaz is no easy out for anybody.
2: No. Very easily,
4: could lose, and then you have no leverage and 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 no money. Oh, not no no money, but you don't have the amount of money you should have been able to make in, in this uh, prime moment of your career. Well, so, Keith, it's a Keith I'd position. be
3: worried for Cambosis, depending on who they get for him. Like if he does go the route of the quote tune-up in Australia, I'd be a little worried about that. I mean, Cambosis fought the fight of his life against Teofimo mm. Lopez, but before that. He was split decision with Lee Selby and Mickey Bay. So, like, I mean. Well, he, he,
4: to be fair to him, he beat Lee Selby convincingly, convincingly and one judge had it completely out of whack. So, that should have yep. been a unanimous. I know what you're saying, but that should have been a unanimous decision. You just never know. I get your point, though. He was he, he did. I was there when he fought Mickey Bay and it was a back and forth type of fight that, you know, it was a close fight. So, I get you. So, I understand what you're saying, Chris. And, and it's you know the guy i understand what they want in their hearts right you want to go he wants to go and fight tank davis and he wants to go and fight devin haney he wants to go because he wants to prove i'm the man that Mm -hmm. he just you know he proved a whole hell of a lot there on november 27th but he wants to further prove himself against the top fighters in the division but you have to be smart and you have to you you have to cash in when the opportunities are there for you and he has smart you know Lou bell is a smart guy man i mean Mm -hmm. He's not, you know, Lou's been involved in boxing at the highest he's level. Crazy, the but he's, he's, well, he's crazy, he's smart. Well, that's why, that's why we yes. love him though. Right. Yes. Yes. Um, yes. So, yes. but, but he will make, he will try to guide George as best he can here to capitalize on, on this massive financial opportunity for him. And hopefully Cambosis will do the smart. Like I don't have any problem with him taking a quote unquote tune up type of voluntary defense in his next fight. As long as it's not in July, you know, yeah. if it's, you know, he did get banged up pretty good in the in the Lopez fight. It was a rough fight for both guys. He's, but a,
3: he's a fast healer though. You see him on, yeah, on Sunday? Yeah, he looked, pretty, he looked pretty
4: good. Yeah, when you guys he's were talking to him on camera day. and stuff, he looked pretty good. Yeah, he looked pretty good.
3: Yeah, he's uh, so yeah, I, I think he's targeting May for his next fight, and that puts him kind of on that two fight in twenty twenty two path. Yeah. Um I don't know. It's again, you're right, you're right. I, I think for Cambosis, and we'll put a button on this conversation part of it here, like it, it just get the most guaranteed money. You know, guarantee yourself two fights, three fights, whatever it is. Get the most guaranteed money because this is your shot right now. This is your golden ticket. You got to cash in because you don't know what's going to come down the pipe. Um, if you if you just do a one fight deal or whatever it is, get the most guaranteed money you can right now, mm-hmm. and uh, earn and take advantage of uh, of these opportunities. I want to ask you about what you saw in Devin Haney this past Saturday. Uh, beats JoJo Diaz by unanimous decision. I had it the same way two of the judges did, 117, 111. Haney's an excellent boxer. Um, He he wants you to believe and he wants to show he has some power. He doesn't really. Uh, He also has vulnerabilities there. I mean, Mm -hmm. in May, we saw Jorge Linares clip him in the 10th round. I thought he was shook a little bit in the 12th round of this fight against Jojo Diaz, but he comes away with a uh, fairly wide decision. What was your takeaway from watching that fight?
4: You know, Chris, I always say to people when they say, oh, well, the guy showed, I don't mean you obviously, but you know, some yeah. people say, oh, well, he showed some vulnerability. Yeah. That's what makes fighters fascinating. When you, when you yeah. have the type of talent that Devin Haney has, and he's not a big puncher, he's an, he's an average puncher. I'm not saying he doesn't have anything behind his, his shots, but he's not a big puncher. He's certainly not Javante Davis, he's not Tiafimo Lopez. He's not a huge puncher, but he's fun to watch because uh, he has a, he incredible uh, boxing ability He's a he's a very athletic guy. He's got a very high ring IQ. He's got the whole package except being a big puncher, right? But what I think he showed against Jojo Diaz, and I, th- I think you're right, Chris. I think he won probably nine rounds of the fight. Jo- Jojo was com- was reasonably competitive, but didn't come anywhere close to winning. But he but he brought it. It wasn't like, a hard
3: fight to score in my mind. No, it wasn't. No. They were pretty clear those rounds.
4: Absolutely, and and Jojo came to fight like he always does. That's what we always get out of Jojo Diaz. I think that's why people appreciate him and respect him. Um, but as far as Devin Haney goes, I think he showed a lot uh, on Saturday night by making it a dogfight. I thought, you know, while he could have made it easier on himself by boxing circles around Jojo Diaz, he stood his ground oftentimes and probably made it a little harder on himself than it needed to be. But I think that people appreciated that. They saw that it, that it was a tough fight. He stood in there and he, and he fought Jojo Diaz. Now, Jojo Diaz is, while I respect you know all the things I just said about him, I meant... Uh, he's not a big puncher either. And he's not really a lightweight. So, um, you know, so there, there were those things working against him, but, but I I was very impressed with what I saw from Devin Haney the other night, you know, the business part of it, it wasn't a great night from him, for him from a business perspective because of the small crowd and it didn't, mm-hmm. the, the fight had no business being an MGM grand garden arena it, it, It's a 16,000 seat arena. It belonged in a, you know, there are other venues in Vegas, three, 4,000 seats. It would have looked much better with the, with the building packed and everything, but um That aside, I was I walked away from that fight very impressed with Devin Haney, and the fact that again he showed some vulnerability makes me want to see him against the top guys even more because those are going to be fun fights. He's gonna if he fights Javante Davis at some point, he's gonna get clipped with a shot, and he's gonna have to fight his way out of it because that's just inevitable, right? But he's also a masterful boxer, and he'll and his length and his jab, and, and and he's just a really smart fighter. He'll give everyone fits, so you know, so I don't think he damaged his brand at all inside the ring i thought it was a, a win-win for him and i'm looking forward to see whoever he fights next
3: uh, he is a masterful boxer he might be the best pure boxer amongst those young fighters in the 135 pound division lomachenko obviously is in a class kind of uh, by himself but i mean i, I he, he fights like a guy that's seven eight nine years older i mean his punch placement yep. is great his accuracy is great uh, his movement is great his footwork You know, he was going up against a southpaw for one of the first times of his career. And he looked like Mm -hmm. a guy that's been fighting one, you know, every other fight. Like, he Mm -hmm. was really good in that regard. There is that, and I said this on the air, there is that kind of devil on his shoulder that wants to prove he can bang. Like, it's just Mm -hmm. like his... I don't want to call it an Achilles heel because I love it. Like, but I'm sure that Bill Haney, Ben Davison, all the smart people in his corner, at times during that fight, probably say box more. Like, you know, move a little bit more. Don't start throwing haymakers with guys. And but but like that vulnerability, as you said, it makes him good TV. I, I'm just it does strike me that you know, he has not been able to gain traction with an American fan base yet. He does have the followers on yeah. social media, but whether it's Lenaris or now Jojo Diaz, I was at both those fights. They were both pro other fighter than than Devin Haney crowds. Like he just yeah. he has not been able to pull a real fan base, which I guess is a little bit surprising to me.
4: Yeah, very much so because like i said he's a fascinating guy to watch and he look the, his that devil on his shoulder that you're talking about it's eventually going to cost him uh it, you know it, it's it's going to be his his downfall at some point in a fight because he's going to try to bang it out when you're not a banger and you try to bang it out with a banger it's not going to go your way at some point but mm. but he's going to beat a lot of guys too because he's just so good you know he's so smart so talented so and all the things you said like he's such an accurate puncher his footwork is amazing i mean he you know he I would, I would like to see him fight Lomachenko. You know, I think that would be an interesting fight. But but again, it goes back to the business side of it. When when they tried to make Devin Haney against Vasily Lomachenko, which they tried to make for this Saturday night, Devin Haney's people asked for $5 million. He, in this market, he's not worth $5 million, certainly not to fight Vasily Lomachenko. Now, the reason they're asking for $5 million is we, he's being paid more than half of that to fight other guys. So they Mm -hmm. think that's what their market value is. It's an artificial market. And I understand why it is what it is because the zone and matchroom have, you know, they've tried to cultivate him into a star and they, and he's the U S fighter that they have, that they're building their brand around now that Canelo is gone. Um, and Ryan Garcia to, to an extent as well, of course, is with golden boy, not matchroom, but Um, So so I understand why they're asking for the money, but you're not getting paid $5 million to fight Vasily Lomachenko on on ESPN. It's not happening. So if he's going to come to the negotiating table to fight, let's just say, Javante Davis, and he said, I I want $7 million to fight Javante Davis, that's kind of like saying you don't want the fight. No,
3: I agree with you. I mean, at some point, I know it didn't work out for him in the way he thought it was going to work out, the way it maybe could have worked out if circumstances were different, but... Like what Teofimo did with Lomachenko. He on himself, and mm-hmm. he believed that would be a springboard into bigger and better things. Now, it didn't turn out that way in because of the pandemic and then because of a lot of issues he had going into that fight uh, right. against Cambosis. but I like that attitude, right? So mm-hmm. if you get offered a fight against George Cambosis, don't ask for the moon. Like, you know, get you're going to that fight. You'd probably be the favorite. Going up against Cambosis. You win that fight, all of a sudden you're the undisputed lightweight champion. Then you've got some options. Then you can start asking for that kind of money and start building towards yeah. that kind of money. It's just Yeah, that's that's a big, it's a big problem right now with some of these guys that that all are getting paid X when they probably shouldn't be, and when they're talking about matching up with each other, it it doesn't make financial sense.
4: So Yeah. And I agree, and that's why, Chris, I think while a lot of the things that Floyd Mayweather and Leonard Edelby have said have frustrated fans, they're right. I and
3: mean, they're, uh, and, they, and, and I believe reporters in that room, did they, oh, they without, frustrate without, reporters listen, in that I, room?
4: I didn't – well, Leonard doesn't fr- frustrate me or annoy me, but Floyd certainly does because he says – you know, I don't want to go off on a tangent on Floyd Mayweather here, but for a person with the platform and the power he has within this industry, I'll just say that a lot of the things that he says – are wildly irresponsible, not based on fact, and he should know better than to say them. I don't know what his hang-up is with like people like he kept he repeatedly said before the fight, before the Davis Cruise fight and after that the reason that Gervonta Davis is not getting the credit that he that Floyd feels that he deserves is because the media or the fans or combination thereof uh dislike him. Now they might very well. You don't. He oftentimes does not make himself likable to the to the everyman, for sure. I would um, say though, but, you and
3: I are two. You and I are two media members, Keith. That 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 Floyd Mayweather. My opinion of him has nothing to do with my opinion of Javante. It they're yeah, totally yeah because, separate
4: things. Be, be, Chris because we're adults and we're professionals <laughs> and and I don't I don't take any of this personally. I mean I, I took offense to some of what Floyd said. Uh, just having having covered the sport for 25 years and and done it in a way that I think is uh, down the middle and ethical, uh, so I do take offense to him saying that like you know we're, we're uh, disparaging Gervonta Davis because we don't like Floyd. I, I don't really care. like Floyd Mayweather's one of the best fighters to ever live. I've said that a million times, I, I, and yeah. you know not that my opinions matters more than the average fan or anything, but the point is he's a great fighter and he builds these imaginary enemies and and unfortunately for Javante Davis and a lot of other people makes everything about him when he like let Javante Davis have his moment don't turn everything about Javante Davis into something about you it's everything's not about him like like what like just for argument's sake if you thought if even if you really dislike Floyd which I don't I, what do I you know I go cover the fights and then I go home to to life to real life like I'm not yeah. sitting here Worrying about Floyd Mayweather or whatever. So, that, again, I think that speaks to his ego, but that's not reality. You know, like people are not consumed with what Floyd Mayweather's saying or thinking or doing. And the reason, unfortunately, for Javante Davis that he has not gotten the pound for pound credit that they think he deserves is because he has not fought the people that people want to see him fight. Now, I, one thing I will agree with what Floyd said is I didn't think going into the Esau Cruz fight that Gervonta Davis had gotten enough credit. You know, you could have argued maybe that he was a, a number 10 or number nine pound for just because he's viciously knocking out fighters. Now he's been matched smartly and carefully, but he's viciously knocking people out. And you could, I, what I will say is like, I think sometimes people go a little, over, I mean, media people and fans go a little overboard in the lower weight classes. Like, you know, I don't think Juan Francisco Estrada is the number nine pound for pound fighter in the world i don't he's very good he's fun to watch chocolatito was was. people thought he was shot a couple of years ago and now he beat chocolatito and now he he, he really didn't and and now he's number nine or number ten on the list so i, I, I quibbling about that i could understand that but but the primary reason if you're a uh, rational intelligent person the real reason that Gervonta Davis had not gotten the pound for pound credit that Floyd thinks that he deserves. And I understand him thinking he deserves it. He's a promoter. He should, even if he doesn't believe it, he should say it because he's Mm a promoter. So instead of spending time with these wacky conspiracy theories about people hating him, he, you know, he should realize that if you put the guy in the ring with the people, people want to see him fight, he'll get more credit for what he's doing.
3: He would, but you know, one thing I've said, and, you may disagree, um, but I still believe it is that I don't deep down. I don't think they believe that Gervonta can beat a Devin Haney or beat a Teofimo Lopez. Look, my my frustration, Keith, was that let's like flashback to January of this year. All the lightweights at that point were available, right? You know, you hadn't had the purse bid yet for Teofimo versus Cambosis. Ryan Garcia was coming off that win over Luke Campbell, which was the biggest win. Of his career, Devin Haney was out there putting his hand up. I mean, money is an issue when you're negotiating, they, as we just talked Chris,
4: about. Chris, not to cut you, but they did try to make the Ryan Garcia fight, and they, Ryan they Garcia wa- and Ryan Garcia walked away from it. So I don't know. That's not their fault, right? Okay, I mean,
3: yeah, putting putting Ryan Garcia on it, fine. You're all right. That that is they they did do that. Uh, but all the other guys that are out there, like they were, they had options. Like they could have pursued other fights instead. They went to Mario Barrios at 140, whatever. They go to Raleigh Romero at 135. I don't know what Raleigh Romero did to deserve a fight with Javante Davis, besides talking a lot of smack about him. And then when he falls out, they go to Esau Cruz. Like, I just I don't feel like there's been any kind of effort to be made to consistently try to make big fights. Like, they're not calling top rank to try to make a fight with Vasily Lomachenko. They're not calling, uh, certainly not pushing to do a Devin Haney fight right now. I just, I mean, this guy's 27 years old. It's time to see what he's got. And until we see him in against these top guys, he'll get paid. And look, if you're a boxer and you're getting paid for, you're getting higher reward for lower risk, you're selling tickets, you're making millions of dollars. You're not putting yourself at maximum risk. Okay, great. Like, you know, you're putting your life on the line out there, not me. But at the end of the day, you don't get the respect until you beat the top guys. As simple as that. Like there's, there's no two ways about it. You, You have to face top guys to get the universal respect. That's how, look, Floyd, and I'm repeating myself a little bit from a, a couple of podcasts ago, but, like, Floyd, he got his respect early. He beat Gennaro Hernandez at age 20. He beat right. Jose Luis Castillo twice. He beat Diego Corrales. He went to Cor- Jersey Cor- to beat Arturo Gotti. Like, he did these things. Like, Floyd, Floyd's he, talking he, about this guy getting respect. He didn't do any of the things Floyd did. Like, he, Floyd he, did these things.
4: Yeah, and, and of course, they're trying to follow the Floyd Mayweather blueprint, but I don't think that that's realistic. Now, I understand the smart matchmaking and and being careful about who you're fighting, there's not going to be another Floyd Mayweather. There's not going yeah. to be another boxer who makes eight, 900 million. That's not happening, but be, uh, primarily because Gervonta Davis, nor anyone else has Oscar de la Hoya waiting in the wings to fight, because that's mm-hmm. really when Floyd Mayweather became Floyd Mayweather, you know, forget everything that happened thereafter, which he, you know, they obviously did an amazing job building his brand and his, his empire and everything, but he made $10 million to fight Oscar de la Hoya which in 2007 is a lot of money for a prize fight. and what? But he didn't make $30 million to fight Oscar De La Hoya. He was the B side against Oscar De La Hoya and his guarantee was $10 million. He went in there, he beat Oscar De La Hoya, despite what some people might think. I think he can, Maybe I thought he won have, the fight, no problem. Too. Yeah. Um, but that changed his entire career trajectory. And there's no one like that for like, if just let's say Gervonta Davis fought Vasily Lomachenko, who's the older guy, the former champion and all that he ain't Oscar De La Hoya. So you're not going to, you know, it would be a tough fight, but let's say Javante Davis goes in there in a, in a real tough fight and beats Vasily Lomachenko. Well, his career from a financial standpoint is not going to change the way that Floyd Mayweather's career changed when he beat Oscar De La Hoya. There's no De La Hoya there. So he doesn't exist. So I don't know, you know, that he, 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 while they're following the Floyd Mayweather blueprint and look, if I'm Javante Davis, yeah, I'm going to no matter what I think about, you know, whatever per- personal things have happened between them, which have been well-documented and whatever, and, they, and maybe they've repaired it to the point where it's it's fu- better or whatever. You can't argue with the fact that the guy, look what he did. I mean, you can't, as much as he might annoy us with some of the things that he says, these unfounded accusations and all this nonsense, there's no arguing with the fact that the guy did it better than anyone else. Whatever, mm-hmm. however you think he avoided Margarito or whatever people say, like on our website, on our website, in the forums and all that kind of stuff, all the things that they've been saying for 15 years, short of all that, the guy made almost a billion dollars in boxing. I mean, think about that. He fought Conor McGregor, who had had not boxed before and made how much money, you know, 200 plus million dollars. He just... He just fought Logan Paul and somehow convinced 1.1 million people to buy it, despite that the guy has barely boxed. I mean, Mm -hmm. they they know it from a business standpoint. They know what they're doing. So I understand that while the fighter in Gervonta Davis, because I don't doubt for a second, Gervonta Davis comes from the worst of the worst in Baltimore. Right. He comes from the worst neighborhood, fought himself out of the, the most impoverished situation. I don't think that he's afraid to fight anybody. I don't think most fighters are afraid to fight anybody, but they're going to follow this Floyd Mayweather blueprint. And to some degree, you can't blame them because this is about walking. Now you want your legacy to be as strong as it could be, but this is about setting up your family for generations, right? And he has two daughters now, and and Floyd, and he's being paid well for these fights. And they're going to follow this blueprint. But I do think. He's gotta be saying behind the scenes, like he he can't be fine. Javante Davis can't be fine with people saying he's afraid to fight Ryan Garcia. That ain't gonna sit well with a guy who comes from where he comes from.
3: No, he's you know? not he's not afraid. And like you said, no fighter is really afraid. I, I'd just like to see Javante start putting some pressure on the yeah. people around him to make these fights happen because fighters can have influence. We saw just this last month. Where Sean Porter, you know, said, I want this fight with Terrence Crawford, let's mm-hmm. make it happen. Even the Jojo Diaz Devin Haney fight. I mean, Jojo Diaz didn't have to fight Devin Haney. Like he could have waited a couple of months or three months and fought Ryan Garcia in the first quarter of next year. But he said, Look, make the money work. I'll make that fight happen. Like fighters can have influence. And if Javante wants the respect that's commensurate with uh him get what he gets paid and kind of his profile amongst fans, like you got to fight one of these top guys. You got to do it right. at some point. 2022, uh, his age 28 year. That's um that's gonna be the year to do it. All right, let me look forward for a minute here and talk about Vasiliy Lomachenko. Not necessarily about the fight against Comey. He's gonna be a big favorite in that fight. Um, but like, where does Lomachenko go now? Because you had Teofimo. Like, if Teofimo won and he'd been able to make 135 for his next fight, you would have had top rank push for. A rematch between Teo and, uh, and and Lomachenko. Would you have taken it? I don't know, but that was like the natural fight that's out there. Now you got Lomachenko, and let's say he beats Comey, which uh, I, I believe he will. Um, going into 2022, in kind of a uncertain world, like can top rank make a deal for Lomachenko to face Campos, and if they can't, what does he do at lightweight? We know Bob Arum is already publicly pushing for a fight against Shakur Stevenson. Shakur Stevenson wants that fight at 130. I actually like that fight at 130. I think Lomachenko is better at 130 pounds. And at 130 pounds, there's Shakur Stevenson. There's Oscar Valdez. There are better options for Lomachenko there than he has right now at 135. What do you think the next year looks like for Lomachenko?
4: I spoke to Vasily Lomachenko on the phone a few days ago, and he told me that he wants to fight at 135 pounds. Like, unequivocally, that's what... He does not want to go down to 130. Now, maybe... That's a little bit of a negotiating ploy because they want him to fight Shakur Stevenson, which is an excellent fight that I think we would all want to see. But Chris, to be fair, if we're going to criticize Gervonta Davis for where he's at in his career and who he's fighting, the bottom line is Vasily Lomachenko is fighting Tiafimo Lopez's leftovers since he fought Tiafimo Lopez. He fought Mm -hmm. in in June, um, and now he's fighting Richard Comey, who, while a powerful fighter and a former lightweight champion, was flat out destroyed by Mm tiafimo lopez two years ago at madison square garden there's no reason whatsoever for vasily lomachenko to fight richard comey except that you can't get him now it's not easy to get him the other fights because they did try to make the haney fight and all that but uh he the bottom line is he's fighting guys that tiafimo lopez beat and he has no one to blame for this but himself and his team because i have repeatedly said this Before and after the fight, the fact that they did not get a rematch clause inserted into the contract for the Tiafima Lopez fight was a strategic mistake. Now, he made a strategic mistake in the fight in that he didn't start fighting until six rounds into it. So that's on him also. And when he fought in the second half of the fight, it was an excellent high-level fight. And he came back and made it much closer than it actually was on the scorecards. But... I think the biggest mistake that they made because he had the leverage and he was the champion and Lopez was desperate for that fight. They could have and should have put a rematch clause in that contract. Now I've been told from people that work with top rank. Oh, well, that's not real. Why not?
3: Everybody else does it.
4: Everybody else does it. And it wasn't a mandatory fight where you couldn't insert a rematch clause into it. It was a mistake. And it's been proven to be a mistake because he has fought Nakatani and Richard Comey in his two fights since he lost to Lopez. And under no circumstances was Tiofimo Lopez. After all the things that Vasily Lomachenko said about him, he was not giving him a rematch. Now you could argue that turned out to be a mistake too, because maybe he would have made more money than he even made for fighting George Kambosos in the rematch, but he was not going to give Vasily Lomachenko the satisfaction of fighting him again after he beat him in the fight. So, I, you know, I think, maybe Lomachenko and his team deserve more criticism here than Tank Davis and his team, because what is he doing? He's, he's fighting Richard Comey Saturday night at Madison square garden. And I I don't want to disrespect Richard Comey's a, a hard hitting guy. He, you know, he comes to fight and everything, but what is beating Richard Comey doing for Vasily, other than fattening his bank account a little bit? What is it doing for Vasily Lomachenko's legacy for anything really?
3: Well, do you think he took that fight and not to excuse it because I think you're right but do you think he took that fight believing that Teofimo was going to win, and believing he just needed another fight going into 2022 to prepare him for that rematch? Like I think, yeah. You know, well, Top Rank was going to push well, maybe, for that yeah. no, rematch.
4: Well, Chris, he has he has to fight somebody. I'm, I'm right. not saying, he, you know, he's got to fight somebody. But again, this is, I mean, there's no way around the fact that he's fighting Teofimo Lopez's leftovers. I mean, that, that there's no two yeah. ways about it, right? I mean, I, I agree.
3: I, I think I for me, where I start to criticize Lomachenko is next year is. If he goes into next year, and if he's so stubborn uh, about staying at one thirty-five, and the Cambosis fight doesn't come together, what does he do? Like, can they? I don't think they can make a fight Mm -hmm. with Gervonta Davis. It doesn't seem like that's something that's even remotely been discussed. Um, And beyond that, like, what are we talking about? Like, what's there for him at one thirty-five that's easy to make?
4: And and if you're George Cambosis and you have all these options, that's not the guy I'm fighting. I'm not fighting Lomachenko. Why would you fight him? I mean, it's the most complicated style of all of them. And he's still, you know, what is he, 33, 34 now? I mean, he's getting up there a little bit, but but I wouldn't fight him. You know, so what, and he has no, you know, losing the titles, he has no leverage. I mean, he's still...
3: You talk to him, Keith. Why, why do you think he doesn't want to go back to 130? you think it's the weight? Like, he doesn't want to cut that five pounds? Because I, th- I we've watched him rise from 126 on up. I think he's so much better at 130. Like, he is a much yeah, he, better fighter a, at 130.
4: Yeah. yeah, I think so, too. I, I, I tried to ask him that. I didn't really get a straight answer, to be honest with you. And, again, mm-hmm. I don't know maybe if that's a negotiating ploy by them because they know, look, top rank does not want to put, for whatever reason, is hell bent on not putting Oscar Valdez in the ring with Shakur Stevenson. Now I think it's because they think Stevenson would beat him, but Stevenson has earned that fight. He went and excuse me, he went and beat Tremel Herring to get one of the titles. And now it would be a unification fight. And Oscar D- Valdez, let's be honest, he ducked them at 126 pounds. Mm-hmm. And now and now he says he wants to fight him and it would be a unification fight. I mean, if you're Shakur Stevenson and his team, I'd be pretty annoyed that they don't want you to fight Oscar Valdez, right? So so they want, supposedly they want to put him in the ring with Lomachenko, which is clearly a tougher fight for Shakur Stevenson, mm-hmm. but is, is Lomachenko going to do it? Because what's really to gain for Lomachenko? Not really a whole lot. All right. So you go back, just let's say he, he goes and fights, you know, he acquiesces and goes and fights at 130 pounds. Well, he has already been a 130 pound champion. It's not like it adds mm-hmm. anything to his resume. Now, if they pay him enough, he might do it. Um, but that's a tough fight. Not an easy fight for, for not an easy fight for either guy, but. I don't know if it makes sense for uh, for Lomachenko.
3: I agree. You'd have to get paid, but I think for Lomachenko, you fight and beat Shakur Stevenson, and then you fight and beat Oscar Valdez. It's a pretty good year for you. Then you can pursue being undisputed at one thirty. Um, yeah, I mean it's 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 something. It just I just look around one thirty five, and you know you got Haney chasing Cambosis, Ryan Garcia still. Let's get him back in the ring first. Uh, Gervonta. again. I don't see Gervonta against Lomachenko. Um, What are you going to do? Like, what are you pursuing at 135 that makes any kind of sense right now? It just doesn't like, you know, Jojo Diaz, like it doesn't like it. There's nothing there that, that does it for me. So we'll see. I'd like to, I bottom line, I'd like to see him go back to 130. Like to see him acquiesce to that. And there's a couple of big fights he could be in Mm -hmm. at 130. Shakur Stevenson, Lomachenko, Bob thinks it's a pay-per-view. I don't know. It's a good fight. I'd I'd want to watch it. Um, Winner of that against Valdez. I don't know if it's pay per view, but I'd want to watch it. Like those are two high level fights that you could make at 130 if, pounds.
4: If if it is a pay per view fight, my advice would be not to pigeonhole it to ESPN Plus. Yeah, despite depends. them despite them insisting that that makes sense for for the boxing business, it might make sense for ESPN and Disney to try to force people to to subscribe to to their bundles or whatever you know whatever their packages are. Mm-hmm. But you are cutting off a significant portion of the audience that either, either does not have ESPN Plus or is not willing to learn how to use it, even though it's not that complicated. People just are set in their ways. And look, I'm not saying that I don't want to go off on a tangent on this, Chris, but my point is. Big I'm tangent not, day for you,
3: Keith. Big big tangent, big tangent day. day. I mean, you know, big these
4: people are riling me up all <laughs> over the place, I guess. But, <laughs> but what, what I'll say is um, Sean Porter and Terrence Crawford, I'm not saying it was a 500,000 buy fight. But it wasn't 135000 buy by fight either. And by restricting the people who would watch it, while again, it, and I'm not blaming this on top rank necessarily because they have to do what ESPN wants because ESPN is funding their whole operation, so they have to mm-hmm. do what they say. I just think it's short-sighted in terms of the health of the boxing business by restricting people from buying the fight who, who ordinarily buy it by just going to their remote control and pushing one button and it's over with, right?
3: I mean, look, some people in addition to, uh, you know, the, the logistics of it, some people don't like using apps. It's as simple as that. Right. Like, you know, we, we kind of discovered that DAZN did uh, with Canelo over the years, you know, a big yeah. Southern California fan base. And when they offered yeah. it on pay-per-view, they had like what, exactly. 50,000 buys on pay-per-view that's, at a much that, higher that's price. What <laughs>
4: like, that's wonderful. what I'm saying. That's Chris. That's what I'm saying. I mean, so don't, why cut off those people?
3: Yeah. It I doesn't make
4: sense. You're going to make money off of it. So who doesn't want to make money? Right. It makes no sense.
3: I agree. I agree. A Couple of things I want to hit you with before I let you go. Um, Hall of Fame uh, class of 2022 announced this week. Uh, the three boxers in the modern category: Roy Jones, uh, James Tony, and Miguel Cotto. Uh, how do you feel about those three?
4: I mean, all all first ballot guys. They should have been, in my opinion. I understand you can. They're only you're only allowed to, to vote for a certain amount each year, but um, but yeah, Roy Jones, obviously, you know, pound for pound king for a very long time uh, Miguel Cotto fought everybody and won world titles in multiple divisions. Um, you know, even fought technically at middleweight where he didn't really belong, uh, always made for exciting fights. James Toney, of course, uh, you know, lost to Roy Jones and in in that, you know, that fight that everyone wanted to see back in 1994, um, and then rejuvenated himself as a cruiserweight. And then as a heavyweight, of course, has the, the, uh, the blemish on his record that he popped positive for for a PED. What do you, what do you that...
3: think about that Keith as a voter? And I I've had to think about it too over the years because in baseball the writers that vote for the baseball Hall of Fame have largely made it clear that they're not voting for key members of the steroid era. I believe this is the mm-hmm. last year that Roger Clemens can be on the ballot or will be on the ballot. I think Barry Bonds, maybe the same thing. Those guys that, without those blemishes, first ballot Hall of Famers, great baseball players, but it seems unlikely that any of them are going to get in. How do you approach that as you're making your decision on who to vote for for the Boxing Hall of Fame?
4: You know, it's it's a tricky, tricky deal, Chris, in that, you know, boxing, as we well know, and, and people say this all the time, you know, people's lives are at stake here. This is not a matter of like, you know, hitting 755 home runs or whatever. Right. I mean, this is people's lives are at stake. And when you cheat, I think it should be held against you. And I, and I've said this on your podcast many times now people defend Canelo and all that. I mean, but the bottom line is he, he tested positive for a PED twice before his second fight against Gennady Golovkin. Um, I don't, I don't, I don't overlook that. I guess is what I'm saying. And and, I'm, and Canelo Alvarez obviously is a Hall of Fame fighter, but th- to to go back to Floyd Mayweather for a second, one of the things that he brought up last week was that you know it does. He said, "I'm not accusing him of of being on steroids every fight, but it certainly casts doubt on what he's done because you know there are ways around the tests and everything." And I I, I just think of a guy test positive one time. I mean, I think you would have to be suspicious of him. Uh, for for either before or after, whether he was on some sort of PEDs and and had the wherewithal to beat the test at a certain point, so it's a tricky, you know, it's it's a tough one, Chris, because again, these people, this is people's lives at stake, you know, like Jarrell Miller. In my opinion, should not box again, yeah, because he's been caught so many times, and he clearly has no regard for the health of the people who are risking their lives by entering the ring with him. So it's a tough well, thing. This no, is no,
3: where this is where Tony kind of threw me a little bit. Like I, I think you can be subjective with some guys. Like the baseball guys, like one of the things they're accused of is basically doing this throughout their careers. Like, you know, taking right. stuff forever. Mm-hmm. Um Tony tested positive twice for what I recall, pretty real substances. Like this yeah. was not mm-hmm. like he, these are steroids that he was testing positive for. And mm-hmm. I guess the argument for Tony was that he tested positive at the end of his career and he'd already had a Hall of Fame career prior to that yeah. but that assumes that he wasn't doing anything before which to me is a leap of faith so he's the one that i don't know about i don't know i didn't vote this year because i'm an idiot and i forget to pay my dues all the time for the maybe B- B- w- but um
4: get your 40 dollars in cheapo. i did actually
3: jake donovan <laughs> shout out he knows I, I dropped it in a couple of weeks ago um i don't know that i would have voted for tony that's that's the one guy yeah. uh you know, I understand arguments for uh, the two serious positive tests that would have, And you know, look, I yeah. saw, you know, I saw some people like Dan Raphael wrote this. He wrote like, he, he kept him off the ballot one year for that. Like, okay. So just a, like a one year punishment for, yeah. for that is that, yeah. do you, I, I don't know. I mean, look,
4: pe- people are, if you, if you've earned your right to vote, you can do with it what you want. Yeah. And, uh, who am I to tell you what, what to do and what not to do, but it's a, it's definitely a deterrent for me. You know, it's, it's, it's tricky.
3: There uh, isn't there uh, isn't uniformity, Keith, because like again in baseball, the vast majority of the writers have decided that they're not gonna put right, right. these guys in. They've almost I don't want to say colluded uh, on this, but they've mm-hmm. reached a collective decision that these guys are not gonna get in. I don't think that's the case amongst the boxing writers and mm-hmm. the boxing owners. No. It's yeah. very it's very uh subjective. Um but, all right. But, Go ahead. Yeah,
4: yeah. No, I was just going to say that the danger, the inherent danger of the sport, I think, is what makes this even more important. As the the, the the Boxing Hall of Fame is nowhere near as prestigious and and longstanding as the Baseball Hall of Fame, obviously. But um, but yeah, I mean, the fact that people's lives are at stake is, is a big, big, big factor here.
3: Yeah, the Boxing Hall of Fame also insists on inducting three fighters every single year, when sometimes there aren't three fighters to induct. And sometimes there are more than three fighters to induct. That's another yeah. conversation for another day. Um, finally... Deontay Wilder went on Kevin Hart's uh, show recently. And one of the things he said, and I'm paraphrasing here, was that he hasn't really decided what the next step of his career is going to be, if there is a next step in his career. We know Shelly Finkel, the manager for Wilder, has suggested he'll be back in the first half of 2022. But listening and reading Wilder's comments, I'm not convinced of that just yet. Now, I do think got to give Wilder more time, you know, to kind of let that loss sink in, relax, spend time with his family, yeah. all those things. But he is what, 36, 37 years old. Mm-hmm. Um, it's tough to kind of rebuild Keith at that age. So hearing Wilder say that it, it made me wonder, have we seen the last of Deontay Wilder?
4: I don't think we have Chris and, and, uh, I, you know, he has a lot of children and he has a lot of people to support and everything. So I think we'll try to see him get, you know, try to get back into like a big money fight. But the one thing that's going to be shocking to him is that he's not, you know, he, he was violently knocked out by Tyson Fury, uh, in their third fight. And he's going to have to accept lesser money to come back and fight and the,
3: significantly the, lesser money.
4: Right. Yeah. And, and it's a, it's a, a tough financial position for Al Heyman to be in because I think you have to put Deontay Wilder on pay-per-view to satisfy whatever his purse demands, whatever he eventually agrees to fight for, it's still going to be a pay-per-view fight. And I think PBC has shown us that they're willing to slap anything up on pay-per-view here with Charles Martin and Luis Ortiz. But um, I think we'll see. You're not excited for
3: that? You're not giddy for that? Mm,
4: Not so much. Uh, I I don't have a problem with the fight. I mean, because Charles Martin can punch. I know people like to, crap on Charles Martin because of what happened with the Anthony Joshua fight and everything, but he can no. crack though. And, and, and he's and won look, a couple
3: of fights now. So yeah. it's, you know, and yeah,
4: he's fine. Luis Ortiz may or may not be 70 years old. Who really knows? But um,
3: <laughs> Who
4: knows? For, $40, um, for, the, for $40, you can find out for $40. You can find out. Yeah. But I do think that uh, Deontay Wilder is going uh, is going to fight again because I've also heard, you know, before he said this on Kevin Hart's podcast, which has been kind of all over the place now since yesterday Um, I had heard behind the scenes that he was pushing to come back sooner than later because he really wanted to get back in there. So, so he's saying different things and, um, you know, it's not going to sit well with him either, Chris, uh, having that be the lasting impression of his career. Now it doesn't end well for most fighters, but a guy who prided himself on viciously knocking out everyone. And unfortunately said many times that he wanted to kill someone in the ring, which is a really a disgusting thing to say, um but he's not going to be okay with that being the last moment of his career. Now that might wind up being the last moment of his career again in another fight if he fights too long, but I think he's young enough. He's 36. um, I think he's young enough to come back and try to rebuild himself a little bit here. And look, he he doesn't have to rebuild himself all that much. He is Deontay. He's one of he's still a devastating puncher. He's with a top level heavyweight, despite his, his uh, style. Um, so Look, yeah, I'm I would still ex-
3: interested. I'm still interested in a Joshua fight down the line. Like they're both vulnerable yeah. big hitters. Like well, you know who's like, you know
4: who's not interested in a Joshua fight. Anthony Joshua. Eddie Hearn. Eddie Hearn.
3: <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. Well, we'll we'll see. The time changes everything, Keith. As you know. Yeah, uh, that's true. You know, true. you need you need money. Things happen. I I agree. I think. I mean, we mentioned we kind of goofed on the Charles Martin and Luis Ortiz fight. Let's say Charles Martin comes through that. Like Charles Martin could be an opponent for Deontay Wilder. I mean. It feels feels like a right comeback fight to me.
4: Well, all joking aside, Chris, I do think that I don't, you know, it might not, uh, it might not go that long. But I'm actually interested in seeing that fight. Yeah. It should, of course, I don't care if it's four dollars. It shouldn't be on pay per view, but no. but it's a fun fight, and you know, I think it's interesting.
3: Yeah, it's it's fine. If Charles Martin wins, bring me Charles Martin, Deontay Wilder in the first quarter yes. whenever Charles can come back of next year. If Deontay wins that, he's right back in the mix. I mean, one yeah. one one big win can put him in the mix. Although I don't know. What does the mix mean? Really? Like, like I don't know what that means right now because Joshua Usyk, then Fury Usyk, 2022 is not going to be the year where Deontay gets that big fight he's looking for. I don't know what the big fight is for yeah. him um, in the second half of next year.
4: Maybe he winds up fighting, you know, just let's say he fought Charles Martin or, but I could see him fighting Andy Ruiz as well. Yeah.
3: Yeah. They just, those are not just big pay-per-view type fights like they're right.
4: But they will be on pay-per-view for sure.
3: Yes, of course. Why yeah. would we put everything on pay-per-view? Let's put this podcast on pay-per-view. No, nobody yeah. will listen to that. That's for sure. Uh, Keith, well, for, good stuff, we'll man. Char- we'll,
4: we'll, we'll charge four cents for it. Yeah, four goes, cents. You know?
3: Four cents. That might be a little bit steep as well. Uh, good tangents today, Keith. I appreciated it, and uh, uh,
4: I got, I got, I got. It was, it was therapeutic for me, Chris. I've been on the road a very long time. The last couple you. months, I'm old and cranky. So I got some of it out of my system. I appreciate it.
3: You got it, man. See, talk to you next time. Same here, man. Bye. When we come back my conversation with Xander Zayas. With big fights every week, there's never been a better time to give FanDuel Sportsbook a shot and join the action on FanDuel Fight Nights, because right now, you can place your first bet risk-free. That's right, you'll get up to $1,000 back if you don't win. FanDuel gives you so many bets to choose from. There are parlays, round props, method of victory bets, and so much more. So, I just missed last week with Isak Cruz losing the closest of decisions to Javante Davis. I thought Cruz was going to be able to pull it out. I am not going to miss this week. Nonito Donaire is a favorite in his matchup with Raymar Caballo, but he is not a massive favorite. And I think Donaire should be a massive favorite. Donaire has only lost twice at 118 pounds, once in his second pro fight. The other time, against the top guy in the division, in a way. So, Donaire wins this fight. Bet on Donaire to win. Offers like this are just one of the many reasons I love betting on FanDuel. It is the number one rated sportsbook app in America. It's easy to use. There are safe and secure payouts. When you win, you get paid in as little as two hours. With FanDuel in your corner, you'll always get exclusive odds boosts, great promotions, and so much more to make FanDuel Fight Night even more exciting. That's why they're America's number one sportsbook. Sign up with the promo code BOXING to bet risk-free up to $1,000 on FanDuel Sportsbook. Download FanDuel today. That's promo code BOXING. All right, Xander Zayas is here. He's a junior middleweight prospect. On Saturday, he will attempt to go 6-0 in 2021, 12-0 overall. When he makes his MSG debut on the undercard of Vasily Lomachenko's lightweight fight against Richard Comey. We were talking just before we started, Xander, about you're... I think you're getting the prime real estate. Like, you're getting the slot that comes on right after the Heisman ceremony. Which is when everybody's watching. Everybody wants yep. to see who wins the Heisman. And that is on ESPN. It immediately switches to top rank boxing. And they're going to see you. Last year, Edgar Belanga made uh, made good use of that. It was kind of a launching yes, pad for him. Do you kind of see it in a similar way for you? Man, um, I, I'm just excited. I'm excited to be here. If
1: that's the case, if I'm the the fight right after the Heisman Trophy, um, I will I will put on a show. I will make everybody happy. You know that that is watching, and, and I'll make sure I get I get that victory.
3: Six fights in 2021. That's uh. That's unusual. We are kind of still in a pandemic and you're you're out there for the sixth time.
1: Yeah, you know, it's something that I, you know, I set up myself to do at the beginning of 2021. We, you know, I sat down with my team and and we wanted this. We wanted to to have a great year and finish, you know, finish the year being the prospect of the year. And I think come Saturday night after after I win, I will I will win that that award, too. How important is that award to you? Man, it means everything. You know, it sets it sets me up to, you know, great things. You know, all the all, all the great fighters at one point, they were they were the prospect of the year, um, at least most of them. And and that just, you know, elevates me to to a to a new level, you know, that fighting more, better opposition, you know, getting into that, that contender level at 154. That's you know, that's the next step. And, and I'm looking forward to it.
3: This has been a year of upsets in boxing. And there have even been a number of prospects that have been knocked off both this year and the last couple of years. When when you see a prospect lose or an upset happen, how do you react to that? Do you do you think about it in the context of your own career? Does that focus you maybe even more? Oh, yes, 100%. You know, it, it, you know, it lets me know that, that anybody is
1: invincible. Anybody can be beat if you... If you don't train hard if you don't focus if you overlook somebody you know they they can beat you you know they in there with you doing the same thing as you as you are you know they just want to win they want they want to have that next opportunity so seeing somebody that is supposed to be the next thing getting knocked off he he absolutely you know gets me focused on on the goal
3: uh you were born in Puerto Rico, your uh countryman Miguel Codo just this week made it sure. into the International Boxing Hall of Fame. What did Codo mean to you? Man, um
1: he he was an inspiration not just to me but to to young fighters in Puerto Rico coming up. Um you know, he his house was was here at MSG and I'm looking forward to be, you know, that next that next Puerto Rican star to to hold a name for Madison Square Garden, I mean, it, it will be it will mean a lot to me, and I'm just focused. I'm focused to, you know, take on it and 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 be that next that next world champion for Puerto Rico.
3: Yeah, I know. Kind of the Mexican holidays are big for guys like Canelo and some of the other great Mexican stars, but that Puerto Rican Day Parade weekend, whatever it is in New York, that's such a massive day. Yes. For boxing. Like, Cotto fought yeah. on that date a number of times. And those scenes, I'm sure you remember them. They were wild at the Garden.
1: <laughs> they were. They were wild. And I'm looking forward to, you know, bring that back. You know, bring that that excitement back to New York, that excitement back to to the island of Puerto Rico. And just, you know, do great things here. Do great things in my career and do great things here in New York.
3: What do you remember about Koto's career? Kind of growing up, young fighter. Yeah. He's in his prime. What do you remember about it?
1: Man, he when he fought Sab Judah, that was a great fight. Shane Mosley. Um Margarito, the Margarito the Revenge. How old were you when he fought, Sab Judah? I was I don't think I don't think I even remember the fight, but I still watch <laughs> it to this day. I still watch, I still go back and watch it because you know that was that was that was a good step up for 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 Miguel Cotto in his career and and being able to to do what he did to stop Judo, was which is amazing.
3: Yeah, that was at 140 pounds, I yes. believe, um, as he was making his way up the ranks. You know, that, that's one thing about Cotto that I always respected. He, he would always seek out the toughest opponents. He would bounce between promotional outfits at times, between networks at times, and. He wasn't interested in tune-ups. He wanted real fights. He wanted, Yeah, he wanted
1: the best, and that's what I'm looking forward to do, too. You know, I want to fight the best, you know, when it's the right time and and prove myself and prove the world that I belong
3: in here. When you look at a guy like Cotto in your own career, like, do you take things from what he does when you were kind of watching him growing up? Like, do you incorporate any of his style into yours?
1: Man, you know you always always look at fighters coming up and you wanna you want to be like them you want to incorporate things like they did but um sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't yes i tried to you know work on some things that he used to do like the left hook to the body um and for now you know throughout my career my 12 you know 11 fight 10 it's been working so i'm gonna continue to use it but some there's some other things that you know they don't they don't work out and you just gotta you know fix them or or try to you know keep working on them
3: yeah i think your left took to the body took the life out of dan carpency in your last fight you hit him with yes one yes
1: i think poison. that was that was a key to victory in my last fight <laughs> my my team were telling me keep digging to the body double up to the body and uh you know we we all know what happened when you know after that
3: you know, some of the best rivalry fights in boxing have been Puerto Rico versus Mexico. I was just working a fight recently with Gabe Rosado against Jaime Munguia. Yeah. Like there's, there's just like a natural, I don't know if it's bad blood, animosity, whatever it is. Like whenever a Puerto Rican fighter and a Mexican fighter get together, it usually is a great fight. As a Puerto Rican fighter, why is that? Why do you think that rivalry leads to such great action?
1: Well, because Puerto Ricans are very proud of being Puerto Ricans and, and Mexicans are 100% pl- um, proud of being Mexicans. So when that comes together, it's just two competitive countries just trying to sh- put on a show and showcase who's the best. I think that's that's what it comes all about. Um, I don't feel like there's bad blood. You know, it's all love at the end of the day. But when it comes down in the ring, we gotta we got to show who's the best.
3: So you started this year, I guess. What what weight did you start this year at?
1: I started my first fight this year was a one forty seven. My first three fights this year was a one forty seven. And then the last the last part of twenty twenty one, the second second half was a, a one fifty four.
3: So was that just you kind of naturally filling out or was it something else? Yeah, it was it was it was absolutely
1: that. You know, I'm nineteen, I'm still growing. Um, my team knew that I wasn't going to campaign at 147. I wasn't going to win a World at 147. So, why not let my body, why not allow my body to grow and keep, you know, keep getting better and keep getting bigger, you know, when I can? Take advantage of that. Take advantage of the youth. That's what they told me.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. If you're, I mean, hell, if you're 154 at age 19, you would think you're probably going to grow 160, maybe 168 as you keep getting older.
1: That's you know that's the goal. I want to win a world title at 154, and then go up from there, 160, 168, maybe 175. Um, you know, you just want to just want to be the best that I can be and, and achieve my my full potential.
3: How close do you think you are to being ready for that type of fight? I I believe um,
1: middle or end of 2023, I should be in that in that conversation of fighting for a world title. Mm-hmm.
3: Do you look around at the guys that are your age and start to look like, all right, that guy's going to be a rival of mine. Like the way yeah. that kind of Spence and Crawford are right now. Canelo Golovkin were for years in their weight class. Do you look around and say, all right, I'm starting to see who my rivals are.
1: Oh yes. hundred percent. You know, I, I, I'm a boxing, I'm a boxing fan. I, lo- I love watching boxing every weekend. We sit down and I sit down with my dad and we just, we just watched the fight from the beginning to the end. And, yes, I, you know, we we have a couple people that we know or we might, you know, have for sure know that that, that we might fight them in the future and, and that it will be a great fight. But um, only, again, only the future will tell. Um, I will stay focused. I will stay dedicated. So when that fight comes around, I'm ready to take on it.
3: Who's, that, who's the one guy that you can say, like, I, I guarantee down the line we're going to have a couple of good fights? Man, there's
1: there's a lot of guys. There's a lot of guys. Um, at 154, you know, Joey Spencer's making a lot of noise. Um
3: There's a lot you, of other What players. do you think of Joey Spencer? He's kind of people have inter- differing opinions on Joey Spencer.
1: No, Joey Spencer's tricky. You know, he's a, he's a good boxer. Um that now in his last couple of fights he's been sitting he's been sitting a lot of his punches. He's been he's been throwing in combinations. His last fight, he fought my my first opponent this year, James Martin. Um, and it was a good fight. And, and I think in the future, if we, you know, if we continue our, our way up and we, we stay at one fifty four, both of us, it could be, it could be a really exciting fight.
3: Mm-hmm. No question about that. That'd be a fun between two good prospects, uh, in boxing. Um, so as we said at the top, but probably a big exposure opportunity for you fighting as, as a potential opener early on, on that card, like, as you, I mean, I'm, I'm guessing you're gonna have a lot of adrenaline going through you at being your first time fighting at MSG, no matter what. But like, yeah. what are you going out there to do with that? With that many eyeballs on you, D- does that resonate with you? Do you start thinking about, all right, I, I can put on a show here? I- I'm focused. You know, I-, I, know I will put
1: on a show. Um, I'm, I'm, I want to, you know, put a statement out there and let everybody know that I'm the prospect of the year and that I'm coming. You know, that I'm, that I'm here to stay. And that I will be at the top very, very soon.
3: I was watching your last fight against carpency and it must be pretty cool for a young fighter to have Andre Ward commenting on your fights. I mean, Andre Ward, one of the all-time <laughs> yeah. greats, like who fights around your weight, one sixty-eight for most of his career, uh, went up to one seventy-five late. But that must be that must be fun to have a guy on that level it's, kind it's of praising you like if,
1: that. It's cooler when they when the, after the fight they you know him and Tim Bradley send you a message. You know, two future Hall of Famers. Send you a message and, and let you know, hey, you did a great job, kid. You got to work on this. You got to work on that. But everything else looked perfect. Everything else looked sharp. I think that that's even cooler than them commentating. <laughs> <laughs> Has Koto ever reached out to you? Yes, I just texted him. I just texted him today. I found out that, you know, he was the Hall of Famer. So I just I just texted him. He responded right away. So, I mean, I started having a good, a good relationship with him back in, in, in September. Um, we exchanged number. He was he was out there in my in my fight in um, Arizona. So, you know, since then, he's he's been in you know, he he's known who, who I am. So, it just it makes me proud. It makes me proud to have such a big name in my contact list.
3: All right, last question for you. Who is in your mind the greatest Puerto Rican fighter of all time? Man,
1: um, I think Miguel Cotto. I mean, that's Cotto. who I grew, that's that's who I grew up watching. That's that was the the hero in you know of my era so I I will have to pick him I know a lot of people is going to say Tito Trinidad and macho Camacho but um I'll say Cotto just because of you know of who who he was when I was growing up
3: You really can't go wrong with any of those guys, though. You're right. All (laughs) kind of around that same era, too, doing great things. Well, Xander, looking forward to seeing your fight. Like I said, a lot of people are going to be watching. I'll be watching for sure. And uh, good luck to you, man. Hope for the best in 2021 and beyond. Thank you. Thank you very much. And um, it's always a pleasure. When we come back, bantamweight champion, Nonito Donaire.
0: When you're an American Express Platinum Card member, don't be surprised if you say things like, Chef, what course are we on?
2: I've, I've lost count.
0: Or, shoot that, shoot that!
2: A trophy bigger than your five-year-old is blocking the rear windshield of the car in front of you. As they reverse into you, you're stuck on defense. And if you don't have the right auto insurance coverage, this crash could drain your athletic fund. So switch to Allstate, save money, and get protected from mayhem like this. Based on coverage selected, subject to terms, conditions, and availability. Savings vary. What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano,
3: and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. All right, Nonito Donaire is the WBC's bantamweight champion. On Saturday, he will defend that title against Raymar Cabayo. That's a fight you can watch on Showtime. And Nonito joins me here on the show. So, 39 years old, Nonito. When you were in your 20s, did you ever think you would fight until nearly 40?
5: Nope. <laughs> you know, um, you know, I, I'm just the kind of guy who just go day by day. Kind of, you know. Uh, live in the present kind of mentality, you know, and just kind of go fight for fight. You know, I've never really thought about even fighting at this age, you know, and, and still enjoy it.
3: How different do you feel at 39 compared to 29? I
5: think that the difference is, um, I'm, un- I'm understanding, um, my body more at 39 and I'm understanding myself and, and being able to utilize, um, all the experiences that uh that that i garnered throughout the years you know and i think that's the biggest uh key for me is accepting what my body is capable of and utilizing that the uh the experience that i've um that i've uh, accumulated throughout the years
3: well talk to me a little bit more about that what does that mean like at at what point in your career did you kind of
5: make adjustments that helped you get to where you are now well i think the funny thing is i just had done it recently after the uh, Inoue fight, you know, because after you saw the ups and downs in many years, losing and winning, losing and winning, um, it was just more of like, I wasn't thinking, you know, I was just going out there to fight, you know, and just trying to land big shots. This time, you know, it was very strategic, like how I used to be uh, back in the days, you know, and um, and I think that's the biggest difference now is that I'm utilizing what I'm good at, which is strategizing.
3: Yeah, you mentioned the way fight. And in a way, even though you didn't win it, I think that could have been a decent way to end your career. Like you went up against the toughest guy in the division. You went the distance with him. You gave him hell. You hurt him uh, during that fight. Uh, you proved yourself once again at that stage of your career. Did What was your thought process after the way fight about what you
5: were going to do next? I said I got to go back to the drawing board. I don't like being second. And that will never be. <laughs> so retirement never crossed your mind. No, I just I my first thing that I went after a week after you know, we had about a, a week or two of, of vacation after the fight, and I went right back to the gym. I I said that you know what, I got something that I need to to do, to create, to uh to utilize and, and get used to again the habits. And I went back to that gym and, and it showed in the, the fight with Ubali. Yeah, it's funny. You at Bantamweight, you're great. Like, you're an all-time great
3: at that weight class. You lost, what, once very early in your career, in your second pro fight, and you lost to a pound-for-pound guy. And in a way, as we said, you went the distance with him. That was a tough fight. It just feels like that's the perfect weight class for you. The only time you've had other losses
5: have been when you decided to move up in weight. Yes. I mean, I, you know, it was just more of, of trying to find a purpose after after uh, 2012 and and winning the fighter of the year. It was just more of like finding a purpose and, and just moving up in weight, just moving up in weight and and, and going for the, uh, the more lucrative fight, you know, rather than just being stable to where I'm at. But I mean, I don't you know, I don't I don't take anything back, you know, I've learned from a lot of those uh, uh, fights. And here I am making that decision to go back down and and which is the right time for me.
3: Was that what it was? Because I remember talking to you after that 2012 campaign where you were fighter of the year. You had a tremendous year. Were you just needing
5: different challenges back then? I think I think it was just more of like I've answered the question that I need to answer which why I was boxing. And um, it came to a point where I accomplished my purpose in in the ring, you know. And um, I, I want to keep keep fighting the best out there, or keep being challenged so that I can train harder, you know. Um, part of it was like that. Mm-hmm.
3: Do you have so you don't take any of it back? But do you have any regrets about that period where you were moving up and up in weight?
5: Um, no, no. You know, i i I was able to uh, experience that things that I've done. You know, and here I am uh, even stronger and understanding and more confident in this in this uh, in this division because I've fought the best out there and I've fought uh, the biggest guys out there, you know, um, even though I was a smaller guy. But now that I'm the bigger guy, you know, because <laughs> of the fact that I've experienced those, I won't ever take anything back.
3: How tough was it? Or maybe it wasn't tough, but going from... Fighting Frampton at 126 to dropping down to 118 for the start of the super series against Ryan Burnett. I mean, how tough was that? What, seven months to get to health in a healthy way to one
5: eighteen? I was never really, you know, I was never really uh the guy who gained so much weight, you know. Ever since um I got to a point in my life, I just I've had a lot of healthy lifestyle, you know. I live off um eating properly, I live off in the gym most of the time. And so the weight wasn't wasn't uh difficult to make. I actually felt really good. The only thing was I needed to adjust was the way I fought because I fought like I was a featherweight rather than, you know, fighting at the 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 bantam weights, you know, and that's something that I've adjusted after, you know, after a few fights.
3: What is the difference that you feel in the ring at, you know, 122 126 versus what you are right now at 118?
5: I mean, it's just a lot of confidence, you know, cuz cuz I know this is my weight class. I'm like everybody else, you know. I'm cutting weight as everybody else. Compared to 22s and 26. they were way bigger than I was, you know. Um, at 26, I would weigh in at 126, and I would walk around 128, 130, you know. So, you know, and 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 that's the same weight that I do from 118 as well. Sometimes I reach up to one, you know, 128 or 130, you know. And I was fighting that way at featherweight. So to me, it was just it was just the the right choice at this time, especially that I'm uh, you know I'm I'm experienced enough.
3: Look, all fighters struggle to make weight. It's the toughest thing fighters have to do besides actually getting in the ring and win a fight. But how, how, how
5: are you at 39 at, at making 118? I'm actually, you know, it's, it's, it's the funny thing because eh, I, I believe that, um, I don't know what it is about me or my body. I mean, I'm just blessed with it, but it's been very uh, easy for me to do it. You know, and I think I do, I do a lot. It's easy for me to cut weight because I do a lot of practices like meditation and, and fasting. With meditation so fasting to me it's like a normal day to me so mm-hmm. i i don't have to worry about the weight i can eat for a couple of days a few days maybe a week and i'm fine <laughs> you know so you know so that's that's just what i i've um you know from all the experience that i went and i wouldn't be able to be the person that i am uh, uh gaining experience in meditation and and fasting and, and getting myself in a spiritual realm without the defeats that i have and, and now making the weight is just such a simple thing for me. I mean, I could go down to 115 if I want to, you know, and still feel really strong.
3: <laughs> wait, wait, don't throw that into the universe.
5: That's a good weight class, Donito. You you tell him
3: you could make 115?
5: Yes, sir. I mean, um, when I fought when I, fought, uh, Inoue, I was actually 116. So I had to drink a couple more water, you know, a, a few water to get down to, uh, to get up to 117, almost uh, just a little bit below 118. So 116. You know, it's right around the corner of 115.
3: So, I mean, like, you know, you got a fight between Chocolatito and Estrada coming up. That's a high-profile fight. Are you telling me that you could be in the mix
5: to fight the winner of that? Physically, you could do that? I would love to. I would love to. I'm putting myself out there in that mix with with Chocolatito and and, and, uh, Estrada. That would, that would be wild because you don't see guys as they get. Look, guys get older, as you well know.
3: They gain weight. Naturally, they progress. It happens. Very few. I think, you know, Jamel Herring is an example of a guy that had success coming down from 135 to 130. But nobody like you at, at your age and and your weight to, to make 115 for a fight against the winner of Chocolatito Estrada. That would be, I mean, you've had big fights in your career. That would have to be one of the biggest.
5: I, that would be great. I, I'm all for it, man. I am all for it. <laughs> have you have you discussed that with anybody uh, with my wife you know um and she's okay with it you know i've talked about it here and there and even talked about it with richard you know um mm-hmm. you know if the, all the fight that didn't happen here we were kind of reaching out to them you know to uh, make the fight happen but um you know again i'll you know richard's gonna do his thing and i'm just gonna advise what i want and and if that's possible we'll make it happen
3: I think Richard and uh, Eddie Hearn, for that matter, probably just had big smiles on their faces hearing uh, <laughs> that possibility. Everybody, everybody wins in a, a potential fight like that. Uh, you, you said at the top of this interview that when you lost in a way, you didn't want to go out at second place. You didn't like being in second place. Y- you won your last fight against Dubali. You, you didn't. You, you were in first place. You can make the argument. You're right there at or near the top of this weight class. What? kept you going after
5: that what keeps you going now well I think that there's one person that's on the first place right now you know and that's what I look at is the division and that's Inouye uh, and that's the guy I need to be first place <laughs> you know um, I just can't be anybody else you know um, I think that Inouye is the best in this division right now but I want to prove that wrong and be the best in that division in this division and that's a goal that I seek and this is why the youth in me is, is flowing. What could you do differently in a rematch with way that would lead you to a win? I think the only thing that I uh uh lacked in that fight was strategy. I just came in there to fight, you know, I just came in there to fight to go out there without any strategy, without any counters, you know. I, I a lot of it was just um if I did counter it was it was all from uh muscle memory, you know. But mm-hmm. now I know exactly how things are going to be. I know exactly what I need to do, and that is to strategize and do the same thing, but with strategy.
3: So you've got to fight with Gabayo up first. Are you, in your mind, are you kind of fight to fight, or do you, like, say, look, I'm going to go till I'm 40, 41, 42. There's another Filipino that went to his 40s as well, Manny Pacquiao. A lot of success in his early 40s.
5: What's your mindset about the future? I'm a... Uh... Uh, fight for fight basis you know because sometimes maybe someday I might wake up and and not feel like going to the gym anymore you know and and I don't want to force my body to fight if I feel that I just don't want to be here you know I'm grateful that I wake up and I'm like I'm gung-ho about it I'm ready to go I'm 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 all up for it you know so I think that the biggest uh thing for me is I'm ready to go and I'm excited what does uh your wife say about your future She's always been very supportive of me. And and she kicks my butt in the gym, you know, being my trainer, <laughs> at the same time being my strength trainer. I mean, she, we know all the people that work with her. She knows how tough she is, you know, um, and she's all for it. If, if I am going to go for it, she's going to support me, but I have to give it
3: 100%. So your wife is, your wife, Rachel, is your
5: full-time strength trainer? Yes, full-time strength trainer and also um, the head coach in, in, you know, in the corner. Mm-hmm. So, uh, how does that work?
3: I, I've, we've talked a lot in recent weeks about fathers and sons, and that's difficult as it is. How about
5: husbands and wives? You know, it's it's funny to me because the the, the thing is, what she tells me, I understand. It's like it's like I have to listen, you know. So <laughs> you know, it's difficult to it. It's just it's just um, you just get it because you have so much conversation when it comes down to it. You know, it's not like. You only talk about it in the gym. We're talking about it in the middle of the night at sometimes at two o'clock. We're, we're we're you know, we're we're talking about it how to counter how to do this. I mean, like two o'clock in the damn morning, you know. So and I think that when she speaks to me, I already understand what I what she needs me to do and what I need her to tell me to do, you know, or so, to... so
3: she'll wake you up in the middle of the night, and be like, Listen, I I think you're not throwing the counter left as often as you should.
5: Sometimes, sometimes before we go to bed. <laughs> You know, sometimes when we go to bed, she's like, hey, I got a, I got an idea. And then she's like, okay. And so we're talking about it. Next thing you know, it's two o'clock in the morning because I'm like, <laughs> we're just talking about it, but that's the greatest thing. And the, I think the biggest advantage for me is because at this time, at this experience that I have, you tend to forget, you know, um, what you hear and you just kind of go uh, uh, on the other ear, but because she's always there, our conversation is, is memorized. It's in and, and her voice. Uh, because of the the constant conversation, that what what she needs me to do is just, it's easy to understand. Is
3: that is there a secret to making it work? Because I I, I would guess it doesn't
5: work for a lot of people, or it wouldn't work for a lot of people. Trust, trust. Mm. Um, mainly uh, you have to you have to uh, respect her because there's a lot of times that women are not respected because they're women, right? Mm. And this is a man's sport, supposedly, right? So things like that. And for a very long time, she'd work with me but I would never listen because I had that mentality until recently, you know, during the, the, the pandemic, when I, uh, when I got the COVID and the, the fight didn't happen, we shut down everybody and it was me and her training. And, and I loved what she had to say. She was very smart about fighting, you know? And so, and it showed in, in the Obali fight, you know, and this time around as well, you know, it just, it's just an incredible, uh, um, uh, tandem, you know, you're right about, what you said there, like boxing in general—I
3: don't want to say mistreats women, but doesn't care as much about women as it probably should. Maybe it's because it's—they're not the target demographic for television. But I know you. One of the reasons the Casimiro fight didn't happen this summer is you were upset about some of the things that were being said uh, towards your wife. I mean, you see in boxing, you know, there are some bad things happening to women by boxers in a way. It's—it's—it's—it's it's, it's, uh, it's not a—not a, a women-friendly sport at this point, is it?
5: Well, I think it's because of, of what has transpired throughout the years. And and when strong women comes out, they're like, whoa, 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 what's going on? And for me as well, you know, um, I stand for what I believe, you know, and I'm always going to protect my wife. like She's always protecting me throughout the years, you know, um, and, that, and and I, I stand by that. Um, but, yeah, with women in boxing, you know, you just don't see enough unless they're fighters, you know, then you'll see that and you give that respect because they fight. But then you don't give enough respect for, for the smarts that they have. Um, being in a corner, you know, because of the fact that there was really no women, you know, who uh, who had that that success, you know, or, or even that limelight like she does.
3: Yeah. Well, you and you and Rachel have certainly had a lot of success in your career. And that career continues on on Saturday. Donaire Gabayo on Showtime. Good luck, man. And uh hell, I, I'm. If you can make 115, sign me up for Donaire versus the winner of Chocolatito
5: Estrada. I will be there front, front and center to watch that one. And by the way, I am bringing the sports world with with the blockchain. So that's something that you guys got to look forward to. It's going to be incredible, man. I think that if they're bringing in YouTube, I'm bringing in blockchain. Now we're talking. Now we're talking yeah. about that. Uh, Nonito, good luck, man. And I'll talk to you soon. Thank you, sir. You guys have a good one.
3: That's it for this week's episode. My thanks to Keith Idek, Xander Zayas, and Nonito Donaire for joining the show. As always, subscribe, rate, review this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you can download podcasts. And we'll see you next week.
2: Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere. Like in the parking lot at your kid's Pee Wee Championship game. A trophy bigger than your five-year-old is blocking the rear windshield of the car in front of you. As they reverse into you, you're stuck on defense. And if you don't have the right auto insurance coverage, this crash could drain your athletic fund. So switch to Allstate, save money, and get protected from mayhem like this. Based on coverage selected, subject to terms, conditions, and availability. Savings vary.
0: An epic matchup between your two favorite teams, and you're at the game getting the most from what it means to be here with American Express. You breeze through the card member entrance, stop by the lounge, now it's almost tip off, and everyone's already on their feet. This is gonna be good. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your live sports experience at americanexpresscom with Amex. Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue. Terms apply.
2: Whether it's your first time betting or you've been gambling for years, have a plan and know the game. Be aware of the rules and odds before you gamble.